Hello, legends, and welcome to episode one of 2024. Today, I catch up with Cub member Andrew Robertson, the CEO of Fixitap, Australia's leading plumbing spare parts supplier. Fixitap was founded in 1972 by Andrew's father, Ken, as a one-man band market store and has since grown into an industry giant and household name, celebrating its 50th year in business last year. I asked Andrew what the secret to not just surviving but thriving for 50 years is in business, how all companies should view economic cycles and swings from the perspective of a company that's seen them all, and how to create the next generation of CEO for your company. This is a true household name, Australian company, started in the Northern Beaches, been around for 50 years, and he shared many of the lessons they've acquired along their time in today's episode. Enjoy the show. I don't think I have seen you. I'm sure I've seen you, but I don't think we've caught up properly since I attended, and thank you for the invite, the 50th anniversary of Fix It Up, which is the first 50th um, company birthday I've ever been to in my life. Yeah, what a brilliant brilliant evening it was. Uh, it only, only seems like yesterday. And really, you know, when you look in the context of 50 years, it is just yesterday when we did catch up. But, uh, yeah, what a brilliant night. Uh, fantastic to have uh, – such a you know great lot of guests come along and help us celebrate and share in that uh, a terrific journey that we've had over that fifty years. Yeah. The thing that struck me, like what what date was it? It's it's around about uh, April May yeah, yeah. April. So, so yeah. the thing that struck me most mm. about it was seeing your dad. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. you know how old is Ken? He's eighty eight. He's but, just turned eighty eight. So, so it's, you kind of uh, realize like how old a human has to be. For the business to be 50 years. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's, uh, you know, it's very much part of the, the legacy process and uh, the learning process as well. So having him there was uh, was special for everybody, really special for me, uh, uh, you know, and, and sharing it with him. So I felt like I was a real witness to the whole thing and he, he was very much the – is the founder and was the reason really why we were all led ultimately. Yeah, and, and there was even staff members, like some of them were thir- – they were, am I correct to say they were there for like 30 years? We've, yeah, we've company? got staff members that have been there for 30 years, um, which is incredible, and at all levels too. So not just senior management. We've got warehouse workers that have been there for 30 years doing their job uh, and doing it extremely well. So, you know, it's a, it's a great achievement for the company not just to, to get to the 50 years but to have staff that really, you know, have enjoyed working there and staying there. So, Well, I, I want to learn a lot about literally – how a company actually makes it to 50 years and, you know, is not just survives but is successful uh, for 50 years. But you've been um, the – you're the CEO of the company now. Yeah, been and, the CEO for probably about uh, about 10 years. Yeah. yeah, And why don't you give us a bit of an introduction to Fix-A-Tap and, 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 and – what the company provides, what it does, where it is. Sure. Well, Fix-A-Taps Australia's leading uh, supplier of plumbing products. We specialise in maintenance parts, so lots of tap components, toilet components, lots of different types of pressure hoses, um, and we're moving into uh, new areas as well, so taps and toilets and showers, uh, so really expanding the business. But uh, essentially everything, anything that goes wrong in a – bathroom or uh, a kitchen or a laundry with uh, bits and pieces you use every day in plumbing that's where we you guys come have the that's where we come in it. that's where we come in to sort of to get in there and help uh, you know help fix the problem so you know it's not just for DIYers it's not for I call them the weekend warriors I'm one of them 
Um, but it's for the trade plumbers as well. So the business was really, you know, its inception was the support that we had from the trade plumbers. So they, they really what sort of helped build the business in terms of supporting what my dad was doing. And in terms of the business model, do you uh, supply your products in, in stores as well as go direct to like uh – customers or how, how do you do it? Yeah, look, there's no direct supply. So we, uh, we sell directly to, uh, to, oh, so you our, to sell our direct hardware. To- we don't sell direct to end users. We sell direct to the retail outlets, okay. so the big hardware chains, uh, the big trade plumbing outlets. So over 50 years, we're very, very fortunate that we've got great support from all of the majors and also all the independents, um, which is really nice. We've got the big guys and we've got the smaller guys and, uh, so plumbers and DIYs, they can find our product all over the country, you know, everywhere. It's just such a wild thought. Like Cubs 10 year is 2025. Yeah, right. And like right. even that feels like, wow, that's a like, it's kind of a long time. It's like my whole adult life almost. But like 50 years, like five times that. It's kind of like imagine what a company can become. Has the, has the company become what you – envisioned at the start or how did the company actually start? Well, I think, uh, you know, 10 years is a great achievement in itself and I think that's the secret, um, getting to 50. You do it in chunks, really. You, you never sort of sit back. I mean, I've been there for 30 years now. I, I could never have imagined that I'd be there that long. But, you know, it takes uh, it takes a lot of tenacity and um, I think doing it in chunks is the way to do it if you had that vision of 50 years and building it into something because, of course, things change as you go along. Um things can happen that uh, are outside the plan and that you – the master plan that you might have had. And as you mentioned, Ken, you, your father started the company, was it 1972? It was 1972, yeah. And, and what's the story? How did, how did he start? Why did he start Well, it? it's a great – look, I think it's a great story. He was 38 years old when he started it, uh, you know, as well. I, mean, I think a lot a lot of times now you think of a startup business, you've got to be young. I think for me, 38 is a – wow, that's uh, – it was, you know, getting it was it was quite quite older well, than what actually, you, would, you know normally expect. I think. Well, there's actually a lot of data now suggesting mm. that the most successful startups are uh, older people, not yeah, younger people. And there's a big influx in in. Old, I mean, 38 is still so young, but you know, there's a big influx in people over the age of uh, 35 and 40 yeah, really that are starting businesses really and, and, and are being more successful. Yeah. But sorry, get back so to look, I mean, he started uh, his family business uh, working with his father was a market garden business. So they grew flowers for a living, went to Flemington markets to sell their trade, sell the product out there, all the flowers. So I think that that's definitely where my father got the the uh, the hard work. Um, you know, belief of being able to, you know, work really, really long days and the discipline that was required. So I think he was about 30 years old. He uh, decided that he had to, you know, branch out, uh, ended up getting a job at Woolworths uh, in one of the retail outlets. Um, and from there became a, a centre manager and then a, an area manager. And so we, he was moving up the chain quite nicely in Woolies. I'm sure he would have done extremely well had he stayed there. Uh, opportunity came um, and he just thought, look, I, you know, I really want to be out working for myself. That was the background that I had in the flower game. Um, and he, he was really good at talking to customers that would come into the store and they all had this common theme of wanting products that weren't necessarily uh, available. Um, and he thought, look, I can, do, I can do something here. And it was as simple as that, just talking to people and starting and having a go. So... You know, he really uh, jumped into it and got in the game and just 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 started doing something without necessarily knowing where, where it was going. Um, he just thought, I've got to give this a crack. It's amazing the importance of that starting part. 
Like you don't even need to realize you're starting a business sometimes. You yeah, know? <laughs> you don't. You don't really. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time you don't know you, you you're starting, and I think it's probably the be, you know the best way. Sometimes it's uh, you know it's really natural that way. So and less daunting. Less daunting, exactly. Otherwise, you have too many preconceptions. So he jumped in there. He was a one man band, so he did he did the whole show. And I was probably about seven, six, six, seven years of, of age at that time. So I saw all this going on. I saw the flower bit um, from you know when three, four years old, running around the flower beds, and then I saw the the evolution of this new business that he'd started and I could see the hard work that he would put into it. So, uh, you know, working long, very long hours, uh, driving, you know, all over New South Wales, go in and take the orders Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, pack all the orders Thursday, Friday, get them delivered, start the whole process again. A lot of the time you deliver the uh, orders as well on the next run cycle. So it was everything, you know, product coming in, he was ordering. Uh, it, was, it, was pre- it, was pretty, it was pretty good to see. Um, and I learn a lot. You don't realise at the time, but you're learning as a young whippersnapper. You're learning all of the, uh, you know, the discipline that's required. You see, you're seeing it happening. So, I always see that with, um, you know, people that their families have always been in business, whether they be big or small. You always notice that they really did learn not just from what their parents said, but from what they saw their parents do. And, and there's Absolutely. one thing business people yeah. do is they work, their work ethic is just, is high. And their ability to overcome problems and to have a steady head and hand after a while and to, you know, you really see these things and these traits and I just think they're so beneficial for life in general. Well, I think it's just brilliant for me just seeing, you know, I, I would go, um, you know, on, on work trips with my dad when I was, I must have been about eight or nine at this stage and, you know, I remember very, very clearly he'd walk into the hardware stores and he was always known as the man with the big bags and he, he'd have the biggest <laughs> – Globite suitcases that you've ever seen, as if you were traveling overseas or something. And then he'd walk in one in each hand, and I, I, you know, and he'd whack them up on the countertop. Store manager would, you know, little hardware stores, uh, you know, come and have a look. He'd just flip the lid open, and I said, Dad, this is going to take us hours. And he said, That's the secret. Um, you know, other reps had come in and they'd see Kenny there and they'd go, look, this guy's going to be ages. They'd walk straight out. So, I mean, I learned, you know, the secret was to, you know, catch capture the attention of who you were selling to, have some good stuff. It was like a, 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 tr- a treasure trove that was in the cases. There was everything known to man in there um, and it just kept the attention and at the same time it kept uh, competition away because I knew Kenny was in the store <laughs> and they're not going to get a look in because this guy's got two hours to go. So, you know, I, I, I'm sort of, you know, you learn these things just by observing and I don't think you can't learn it in a book. Um, and, and the thing is like... The more time that that particular person gives you, the more likely they are to actually end up buying the product because, you know, you've taken more time. Yeah, look, 100%. I mean, of course, in that two-hour process, the manager would like it keen to go and serve customers because there'd be customers coming in. So he wasn't just selling his own wares. He was then, you know, a pseudo-employee for the hardware store. So, you know, it's building in that whole process, building such a strong relationship with your customer that's beyond trying to sell him a product. So, you know, that was the secret for him. Um, it's part of the, you know, the, the service that you need to to give within a business to be able to get the trust of the of your customers and um, to have longevity. You need trust. You have to have trust. It's true. And, and sometimes though trust is made with time. Like that's one thing that, you know, particularly young companies forget is like, 
trust, you know, someone could have a good experience with you as a client and yeah, okay, you're great. I trust you because I received a good experience. But when your business says 50 year anniversary on it, I don't even need to try your stuff to know that I can trust that you're going to do the right thing because you wouldn't have made it 50 years yeah. unless unless you built a lot of trust with people. You 100%. Know? I mean, I th- you know, I think we we all want to, uh, you know, it's all a bit of a race sometimes. So we want to do things really quickly. You can't build up trust overnight. So it's a, it's a game of patience. So, But you're right, after 50 years we've built up tremendous credibility um, and, and our customers not just trust us but they, they do rely on us. Uh, they know that they're buying our product. It's going to do what it needs to do and then some. So it's not just getting over the line. It's like knocking it out of the park. And so he was just uh, getting back to the story. He was discussing, he was talking to people and he was realizing, ah, oh, they were needing, you know, this part of the pipe because that had split and they, they can't yep. find it anywhere. And yep. so he realized, okay, so I, there's a big opportunity here to provide, to solve this problem people are having, which is they can't fix their pipes and plumbings and things because they can't find anywhere to purchase the little parts they need to do so. I'm going to fill that gap. I'm going to do that. And then he went on a one-man band uh, sales spree, I assume. So he has to purchase the products and then he goes to all the different retailers, which back then I'm also assuming – there would have been a lot of smaller retailers there as were opposed a to like a smaller, Bunnings. There were a lot of smaller retailers. So it was pre-Bunnings. Um, back then there was a chain called uh, BBC and they were the uh, the smaller hardware stores and then you had a whole heap of independents. But, yeah, the selling is the one thing. He had to go and find where to get the product and that's part of the puzzle. Uh, and for him it ultimately led him overseas. So he was one of the first business Australian business people who – enter into uh, in, into China in search of uh, product. products. So, you know, it was, uh, I think it was probably about 1980. Um, I did my first trip with him in uh, 1982. So that was, a, that was an eye opener. You know, again, a, a massive learning process. I wasn't working in the company at that stage, of course, but, um, you know, observing what was going on and what needed to happen and all about product and what was quality and what was material and what you needed, so... And what do you think gave him the foresight to go to China? Because China wasn't what it is now back then, you know. It wasn't like now where you need a product, everyone looks it to wasn't, China. Look, I think back in those uh, days there were, you know, economic mis- initiatives where uh, countries such as Malaysia and Taiwan that were coming to Sydney and, uh, you know, exhibiting as countries, um, trying to promote their capability as a country to produce product. And, of course, China was one of those. So... He's always been an adventurer and he's never been really content on just sitting on what was available locally. So he would, you know, his mindset was, look, there's, there's a world out there, there's capability, you know, I'm going to get out there and find it. And that's what he did. And, you know, I was, I was lucky together with my brother to uh, to go on these trips and uh, it was, we, we saw some interesting things, that's for sure. Oh, I bet. And what do you think has is the key to long-term survival and success for a company? For me, it's definitely resilience. You know, I, I, I look at business, you know, if you were, if you were to compare it to one of, one of your favourite games when you were growing up, for me, I, I compare it to snakes and ladders. That is what business is all about. We all want to get to the top. We want to climb the ladders. We want to grow the business. We want to move into a bigger premises. We want to have more profit, more sales. Um, but we forget about the snakes along the way and, and they're unavoidable. So, you know, you've got to have that resilience uh, and when you do slide down that snake and you get to the bottom again, you've got to, you've got to be able to pick yourself up and um, not throw the towel in and, and sometimes you've got to start from scratch on what feels like uh, starting from scratch. And do you think like 
I would imagine that because the longer you're in business, I feel the better you are at doing business yeah, as the business owner. And also your team get better and they're there longer. And do you feel that as a business gets older, it gets easier? I think, I think in some respects it does get easier because just through the fact that you've experienced so many things. So you've, you've experienced the, the wins that you have. You've also experienced uh, the losses that you have and you get better at dealing with the losses. So um, it gets easier from your perspective, but then of course you've got younger staff that haven't been on that journey. So uh, it's always a learning process for them. So it's, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's really important to be a mentor in your business as well in terms of me playing a CEO role. Uh, you know, I really try and be a mentor rather than somebody that has to sort of take over every part of the business. I think that's a more important role for me now um, in making sure that the, uh, you know, the junior employees have got the opportunity of coming through and navigating through some of the difficult things that they haven't experienced. I really like that way of thinking about leadership too, particularly in regarding to CEO role, it's, you know, the most important job I have is to mentor um, my people. Yep. It's to mentor yep. whether, you know, whether it be the new juniors or whether it be people that have been with me, in your case, for 30 years, um, you know, mentoring, looking looking at it as how can I make this person stronger. Um, um, I, I think that's a really beautiful way to think about leadership yeah so, look it is and i think ultimately it's uh, it's also part of a legacy as well like uh, uh you know i've been in the business for 30 years now and you you ask yourself well, what va- you know what value can i you know, continue to offer into the business and i think part of the legacy is is the educating and the and the mentoring and uh, so <laughs> it's, it's quite an enjoyable thing to do it takes a little bit of pressure off having to sort of do all of the strategic planning and thinking and it's important just not to overlook that mentoring role because, yeah. That is a funny thought. <laughs> it's a funny thought in like, okay, like let's say I've been here for 30 years. I've been running this business for yeah, 30 years. Yeah. You know, the thought of how do I keep adding new value? Sure, absolutely. 100%. 100%. I mean, and, and it's, it's you know, with each year that goes by, yeah, you do think, I do think of, the, of that now. You know, how do I add, continue to add value without being, without interfering, um, you know, without being a helicopter? Um, so I think it's some of those softer skills, some of those soft leadership skills, um, mentoring is, is, you know, is really important and there's a skill in being able to be a mentor. You've got to le- probably live the, live the journey but you've also got to know how to, to, you know, to deliver it so that it's not, uh, you're not coming across as telling people what to do but, and how to do it but just for me it's telling stories and my dad was a great storyteller so, uh, no, you know, I, I guess another a skill that I probably – Grab from him, and what? So he'd communicate. He'd communicate in with stories. In, he in would the, communicate with stories. Yeah, you know, continually. And so the stories would go on and on. And sometimes you'd you'd wonder where it was all going. And at the very end, there'd be this learning thing, and you just sit and ponder on it. But it's, you know, I, it was his way of uh, you know being able to communicate. Um, you know, the stories of, of a his life, b his experiences, and. Um, there was always a lesson. There was and a people, lesson. Lo- people remember stories. You know, yeah. like if you just tell someone something, odds of them forgetting it are very high. But if you tell them a story that includes that thing, like, sure. you know, they'll remember how the company started and why the company started, why it's a good reason to serve someone in this way as opposed to this way, you know, like, and stories that show those lessons, like they become almost part of the company culture and people laugh about the stories and like it happens to come back. They absolutely do. And you're right. Absolutely right. It does be- it become part of the company culture. 
um, and, and storytelling and story listening too is is important. Not everyone's a good not everyone's a good storyteller. Not everyone's a good listener. So you, you need your audience. You need to be able to captivate the audience as well. Mm, mm. Yeah. You know, when you've got the benefit of time, of of longevity. Sorry, how does that impact the way that you uh, you and your company view um, external threats? For example, bunning starting. Like how did that change the industry and was that a threat or was that a positive or a negative for you guys? Because you may have had a lot of uh, contracts with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, smaller shops and one-man stores and all of a sudden a lot of them probably disappeared and Bunnings appeared. You know, was that a big problem for you? Well, I was I th- actually going to lead that question into different economic cycles, but we'll sure. skip that. We'll get back to that. But I, w- I would love to hear about well, how think, you manage that change in market. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, the hardware market in Australia uh, has changed tremendously. The landscape's changed tremendously over the last twenty, particularly the last twenty-five years, with new, new you know, Bunnings coming into the into the play, and um, with the acquisition of Hardware House and BBC. So, at one point, you had two, you know, w- good-sized businesses that then became one. So, I mean, that that was a a change of the landscape that a lot of uh, a lot of companies had to uh, be able to navigate. Not always easy um, to navigate, but I think that's just part of business. It's part of that game, the snakes and ladders game. Yeah. But so was we, it challenging? Did it make it difficult for you guys when it first happened? It made it did make it challenging because you realised the stakes were that much higher. So you have a relationship with two organisations, and then it becomes one. Um, you're doubling um, the, the turnover that you may have had. Um, into one, so there's a lot more to. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a bigger piece of a pie to maybe lose, or um, in terms of gaining. Well, how much more can I gain? So, it changes the dynamics in terms of the strategic thinking um, moving forward. So, um, and I think that's for for us, it's where crisis management um, became a big part of our business and a big part of the strategic thinking. We never had to really think about crisis management. We hadn't had. A crisis. Uh, no, we hadn't had what I would call a major, a major crisis that we, you know, we, re, you know, where everything was on the line. So, uh, so I think for me, and I, you know, again, I remember my uh, dad from very early on. He would say, "You always need to keep a fighting fund." And I never, you know, my brother and I, we never really knew what that meant. You know, why? Why did we have to keep this fighting fund? So, um, that was a, you know, a big strategy of Ken's. Um, we, we, you know, before we even sort of talked about crisis management, it was, it was about you've always got to have a fighting fund. And uh, I was like, Dad, why don't, why don't we use the fighting fund for something? He's like, you're going to have the fighting fund. Well, you're going to get in a fight soon, We're going to get in a fight. And, 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 and we did. We did. We got in a, we got in a big fight. And, um, uh, you know, if it, if it wasn't for his, uh, you, know, he, 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 you know, his clever analogy around having the fighting fund and, and actually making good of, to his word, you know, the fighting fund was there and then we needed it. So, um, you know, without, that was a learning lesson in itself. So, um, you know, outside of that was the, okay, well, where to now? But, you know, the fund there was what enabled uh, the business to be able to keep uh, surviving and thriving uh, whilst we worked, whilst we navigated our through crisis management. It's funny. It's a great – that, that's just a great lesson for any business listening in general. But it's one of those lessons that – funny enough, my old man always always said – always said yeah. that. He didn't call it a fighting fund, but he always said, trust me, you're going to need money there to fight someone. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, it's one of those lessons that, you know, if you didn't have someone – like if you hadn't experienced, oh, shit, I'm in a fight now – um, a business battle, let's call it, um, uh, uh, you know, 
this has happened. Oh shit, I have no money, you know, to, to actually do this. I can't win this fight. You might not know that you need it. So like if someone before you has told you, trust me, you're going to need this, you can do it. Like you'll start thinking about it. But yep. if you're new to business and you're not surrounded by a lot of business people, you'd be thinking, oh, I can you I should be using this money for growth and marketing and and spending it all for for you know for for things more in that nature. Whereas really, you know, the goal is survival. And to survive, you need to have a fight fund. You need to have a fight fund. And then as we realized, um, I guess the lesson learned there is that, you know, I like to say now it's important. We spend so much time strategic thinking with our businesses and planning to grow. We all want to grow. We all want to prosper. Uh, We all have visions of where we want the business to be, but we never spend any time planning to fail. And I think it's 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 a really important thing for all businesses to really do. Uh, it's not an exciting thing to do. I mean, who wants to sit down and have a strategic planning meeting around? Let's 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 try and blow this business up. Let's you know role play for the day. How are we going to blow the business up? We're not thinking that way. But that's definitely the lesson I learned is that you do need to plan to fail because when uh, when chaos does come, you need a really clear pathway forward. Um, and there's just so many businesses, large and small. And I think we've seen recently some. Uh, issues out there with large businesses that didn't plan to fail and then when chaos did occur and a crisis did occur, uh, they didn't have a plan. Do you know what it is? You can't think, you can't think and, and plan, only attack. You need to think and plan defence. Yeah, it's And that's a game. what people aren't doing or a lot of people forget yeah. to do. And I, I think for me it just goes back to a lot of my early years playing tennis. So I just, when we hit crisis management, I just took it on as though I was playing a match of tennis. So, uh, you know, attack and defense and strategy and, you know, getting, working, working, finding a way. So for us that was a big thing and, you know, playing tennis, sometimes you've got to find a way to win or find a way to get out of a difficult situation. So all those instincts very much kicked in and it was about, like, well, you just got to you were find a, big tennis a player. way. I, well, from the age of seven I played tennis and that was my, you know, whole life up until, uh, you know, early 20s. That's all I ever wanted to be. So, um, but it was never, I knew it was never going to be that way because it's just I simply wasn't good enough but, you um, you know, through that process, you, you know, I learn a lot and stays with me today. I still competitively play now and um, all that skill set comes in. But they're the same, same similar skill sets that you need for strategic um, vision within, and fighting within a business. Yeah. It, what I love about success in general is the lessons for success in business are also the lessons for success in sports or you know, a hobby you might have Could, or for family and having, you know, and creating a strong family. Like success is like almost singular in its requirements. And so long as you attribute those requirements to whatever it is you want to focus them on, you can become successful at that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they're, 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 they've all got, uh, they're all interjoined at some point. Um, it's just the skill set. It's a matter of whether or not you want to engage and get in the game. I think it's important to, you know, get in the game so when crisis happens, you can run. Uh, you can hide or you can just take it, you know, head on. Um, and when you take it head on, these skills you do learn, um, whether it's family or whether it's business or whether it's, um, uh, you know, outside of that. It's, it's just part of, um, I guess, growing. And I always think people like – I always think people, whether it be your family or your business, people want to see that the leader is, is attacking first. Like, okay, shit, something's gone wrong, bang. 
they're on it. You know, like they 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 they're not afraid to to resolve the issue and to think about it and to attack it. And and I think whether it be like a bad economy, which which may be current or may be about to happen, getting on the front foot and showing people like you know, in your business, look, we're we're making we've got plans for this. You know, it's really important. I think uh, you know the team underneath you, whether it's a sporting team or a business team, they need to have confidence um, in, in the leaders. Uh, uh, that are heading the organisation, um, that they do have a vision, they do have a plan and they feed off that. So everyone in, within that organisation is going to feed off uh, what they see um, and what they feel from the leaders of that organisation. So yeah, you, you, you definitely um, have to have strength um, and, and it's just important for everybody to see that they've got a strong, strong leadership there. In terms of econ- like economic cycles, you know, 50 years you've been through every cycle. So how do you view um, their economic swings, whether they be up or down? How, how do you view it as a business? Well, I think, you know, economic swings is, uh, is something that always happens from uh, over periods of time. I mean, I always see it as a tremendous opportunity. So, uh, you know, with the particular climate, economic climate we're in at the moment, you know, I see it as a wonderful opportunity for our business and for many other businesses as well because um, we all go away and we, th- we, we think very hard about how we're going to navigate it, um, what we've got to do to get through it and how to build and quite often a lot of that good work comes into uh, comes to, to the front um, when we come out of a difficult cycle. So, so you see the benefit I see the, the benefit. The I see the benefit. It's just and, – and it just goes back to that resilience. You need to it, – it, you need to be able to accept the fact that difficult times do happen. Um, it's not abnormal. It's normal. Um, it's, how, it's how you deal with it. And you just – you cannot throw the towel in. Um, no, no matter how hard it gets, you, you do have to dig in um, and, and – you know, it, it, it will get better. It, it will always get better. Um, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, see, that's a beautiful message and it's something that time gives you. Like before COVID, I had never experienced, like I had never even thought, to be honest, about the economy because really since Cubs started in 2015 to that point, there hadn't really been any, like I sure, think it was all sure. good time. If only I was as good as I am in business now, as I, you know, back then sure, that was, like, sure. I would have killed it. But, <laughs> yeah. but, 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 um, but, but I mean, thank God there wasn't a bad time in that period because I probably would have died. Like, you know, I wasn't good enough yet to manage that. And I didn't know. And I think by the time COVID came, I was confident enough and well-equipped enough and had the team and I had the, the, the money and the revenue. And I, I had the things, I, I, I had the, the things that, enabled me to overcome the first major adversity, external factor adversity that yeah. I had. Well, I know? think, you know, in many ways, everyone that's gone through the whole COVID process, if you were a young uh, entrepreneur or young in business to actually have that level of crisis early on. Um, it's you, a blessing, maybe. It's a blessing. Mm-hmm. Not all of the pain and suffering that happened with the uh, with COVID, but in terms of having to deal with it, navigate it, I mean, really, to be honest, in the 50 years of, uh, you know, I, that's definitely been the most difficult thing, even though we had a crisis uh, 10 years ago. I mean, that was next level. 
Um, okay, well, that's deal, good to dealing, know. So in your 50 years, I've experienced one of the top crises. I think, well, I, I, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, uh, you know, an epidemic is, uh, is not an everyday occurrence. So, uh, you know, that's the fortune that um, the, the good that comes out of all the difficulties there. As a business person for yourself, I think you'd be, I'd be, you know, jumping up and down saying that's great navigating it. I'm You've stronger. dealt with some extremely difficult things as a young organisation and you you, you do come out of it stronger in the years ahead, um, you'll definitely profit. Yeah. And I always found like even with COVID, I found that we became a lot more efficient and a lot more financially responsible. And that benefited us greatly once um, we started firing off again. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, you know, we all, uh, that word came out during COVID, it was pivot and we yeah. all had to pivot. And I, I remember very clearly when you started the podcast uh, programming. and That, that was, was part a, of our pivot. That was the pivot. <laughs> and I, I actually remember the very first uh, social media post you had up. You're on your balcony, you were <laughs> contemplating yeah. what's going on. I remember very, very clearly and, and, you know, the light bulbs bulbs were going off and that sort of launched this tremendous uh, platform. Uh, platform that you've got now and you're able to deliver out to uh, the business community. So that's a good example. Yeah, and we never would have, like, we never would have done the podcast, I'm sure, if that didn't happen because, you know, the podcast, we don't make money from the podcast. We don't sit, we never sell advertising or anything like that. The The podcast for us to be honest, I think it gives us something much more important than, than, than money. For us, the purpose of the podcast was to, um, at that time, was to deliver value and stories to business owners who weren't able sure. or not part of CUP. Yeah. Um, while at the same time showcasing the incredible community we have at CUP because yeah. everyone's listening to everyone on the podcast like, wow, CUP has amazing members, you know. Yeah, and I look, it's obviously it's extended beyond that now and being able to share in my story and everybody else that shared their story. There's great learnings there from for people to be able to tap into. Um, so it's a, tr- a tremendous platform. Yeah, and it's just yeah. great. It's great for like – it's great for the company brand. Like so many people – find out about CUB or learn about CUB or aspire to join CUB because of the podcast because they're listening to the members and their stories and they're learning, they're being inspired. Like it sometimes just being consistent with something like we have been with this podcast, you know, Mm. we've been so Mm. consistent over it. We've almost done two, how many episodes have we done? I'm asking Laura to the listeners. Almost 190. 190 episodes. That's a lot. That's like over 200 and at least over 210 hours of me talking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, no, to it's, people, <laughs> it, it's great, and I think we we did some pivoting as well through that 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 time because we all had a lot of extra time on our hands, and you know I think you, you, we all need that to step away from our business. Um, you know, when the business is running and no obstacles, we're just you know flat flat stick, just working so hard. But you know, to actually step away and spend some time thinking about well, what can we do differently, and we did we we did that, and we did some pivoting, and. Um, we we, we uh, created a, a new little product within our business, which which is called Plum Connect, um, which was just simply joining the hands of uh, consumers together with tradies, um, and and create a platform that was going to make it easy for a consumer to find a tradie and for a, uh, for a traded. Also, we wanted to really give back to trade plumbers as well. We just we don't want to be seen as a DIY solution. So. Uh, we've, we we work really hard to ensure that our consumers, uh, uh, you know, are aware of uh, this tremendous 
database that we've got of trade plumbers all around the country. So you got a problem fixing or installing, we got a database here so you know, we can join the hands together and it's a nice space. And that happened, uh, it was a, really an initiative uh, around COVID that and, uh, really pushed that, uh, that, that, that uh, thinking along and like, let, let's do this, come on, let's do it. Yeah, and I guess you're helping both the people, you, you're helping your, the, you know, the DIY clients and you're helping your plumbers and then your plumbers are doing more business for them so your plumbers are buying more products of you so it's just this beautiful yeah, ecosystem you create. It's a great word and it really is and that for me that's what I wanted. I wanted to create this ecosystem um, that joined the hands and we, we, we you know, we tap our, uh, our, our customers as well, our, our retail stores. So, um, yeah, you can find the plumber find the consumer, find the product, and we then link it back to where to buy the product uh, in the store. So it is a real ecosystem. And What's it called? It's called Plum Connect. It's a yeah. product within the business. but it's, um, And how uh, do people find it? Oh, they just get uh, get online. They get on our website, um, on our socials. On the uh, FixTap website? Yeah, or FixTap Plum website. FixTap website. We decided to keep it all in-house under the FixTap brand and, and grow that story. So, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of work around our, our branding and um, – Working with a great cub member. Um, oh, are you in that process? Who's yeah, that? So that with Nicola Mansfield. Oh, yeah. Uh, done a tremendous branding um, only only uh, probably four months ago with us. Oh, so. fantastic! So it's been brilliant, and that's part of the you know the cub network community. Um, working with some great companies, and um, uh, we've also done some great social media marketing work with. Uh, ASK Marketing, you've been brilliant. Another, another member. Uh, another yeah, see, member. Yeah. It, another member. Cub actually, funny enough, does what what we were talking about before, it creates trust. You know, like your company has so much trust because it's earned it over a 50-year period and the fact that it's been around 50 years, you already trust it then. Cub creates an element of trust between the members because everyone has to look after each other, do a good job for each other, provide good service for each other because everyone's part of the same community. Absolutely. You don't want to do a bad job. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So it, it, it creates that safety cushion. That uh, 100%. Look, I've been really, uh, you know, thankful of being part of that community and uh, spending time, you know, networking. And, you know, ultimately you find other members that you feel, yeah, we can do something here or they can add value to our business. So let's get on board. So uh, I've been really happy with, uh, you know, with that process. Well, it's always and, good to hear. Um, you mentioned just before that 10 years ago, you guys had a major crisis. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what that was and how you, how you overcame it. Well, it was a competitive crisis that we didn't see coming. Um, we talked about, uh, you know, crisis management at our advisory board meetings and, um, we'd done a little bit of role play, but we really didn't consider there to be a, uh, you know, a major threat. Um, and ultimately the major threat came out of left field. We just didn't see it coming. So it was um, not something that we, we could have prevented. It was just a, what was it? a disrupting – it was a disruptor that came into the marketplace. A new entrant. A new entrant. So a, 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 a new entrant. Um, they were new, really new to, uh, to that industry space um, and came in with a solution. So – it was difficult, very, very difficult, and it was uh, you know all the all of the crisis management in the world um, you know, ultimately meant that we you know we 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 had to slide down that snake. Um, there was no, there, were, there was no ladder at that point to climb back up, so we were playing the game without the ladder at one point, and um, I think that's part of being in business. You have to at some point when things go wrong, we all want to fight and fight and fight. And at some point, you, you need to sort of regroup. Um, and that's what we did. We had to go into a regroup 
phase. Mm. Um, understand that there's pain and suffering ahead. Um, we didn't like it, but we had to get used to pain and suffering. And um, I think that was just part of the process, part of the regrouping, part of the re-strategizing, part of the rebuilding that's got us to the point where we are today. And we're a much stronger organization. Um, our partnerships are much stronger than they've ever been. Um, and, and the credibility around our business, um, uh, you know, is very, very highly um, thought of um, uh, because we got through that process. Is it kind of like that analogy where it's like, uh, you know, if I'm going to cut down a tree I'll, in a day, I'll spend 20 hours sharpening my axe. You know, it's like kind of like instead of well, going out straight and <laughs> swinging the axe, you know, sit back, talk with each other, create a good well, strategy think, plan. I think it's you know, a, I mean, your a, tools. a good analogy is the tree one. It's probably more a case that the tree gets blown over and it's a, you know, a 50-year-old tree and it's blown over and you didn't even see it happening. But you replant the tree. Um, it's going to take time, you know, it's got to be planted, it's got to seed, it's got to actually take, it's climatic conditions have got to be on your side. But you've got, then got, you've got to re-nurture, you've got to nurture that tree back to, you know, health um, and to a point where it's growing. And that, that's, that's the process that we went through. It, it was a, a tree that had been blown over and we had to get back in there and replant and uh, we had something we had to really protect uh, and, and nurture, and, and that's what we did. We spent five years, um, you know, re-nurturing the business. And, well, yeah, so sometimes even an old tree can fall down. In fact, often it's either the really old trees fall down <laughs> or it's the really young ones, if you think about it, because yeah. really, you know, they haven't got the big foundations. Yeah. But even if, even if a really old tree falls down, as long as there's a, some seeds left, you know, you can get, you can, you can, you can regrow. Sure. And, yeah, make, you and can make sure you're not all under the tree as well. Yeah. <laughs> we've, got, we've got some people left. So, you know, it, it is a good analogy because that, that is exactly what it was for us. Um, and we had a great team. To be honest, the crisis management, it all, all starts with pulling a team together. You've got unifying your, everyone. Yeah. Well, you've direction. got your employees there. I think the most important, thing, you know, if, if I was to give uh, any advice to young businesses is to, is to, you know, have a crisis team. It's it's not everyone in the business. You need to be selective around who are the ones that are going to help get you through this process. Ideally, it's three people. So if two people, you, you know, are going to disagree. You've got a third one. So you need at least three people. You need to be clear on who that team is going to be. So if you if it, if you at the very least have this uh, this this mindset of a team and who the team is, um, and you know that's positive step forward in itself. Even if you don't go in the full role play of let's blow this business up. Mm -hmm. um, well, so you've been part of the business for thirty years. You've been the CEO for fifteen, about, about ten. 10 yeah. And in that ten year period, you've you've doubled the size of the business. Yeah, the, the business has doubled. Uh, you know, we had the two crises in that period as, uh, you know, the crisis we went through. Which is and interesting. Then, and then the COVID that we went through. So when, for us, when we went through COVID, it was, there was no panic. You know, it was because we'd already had our crisis. So, you know, whilst I think that's probably the biggest thing in the 50 years, for us, we, 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 we navigated COVID as a business you know, relatively easily in, in, in context. Um, but my point was mm, more like... Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, when you start a business, you almost have two goals. Your goal is either to sell the business, mm -hmm. you know, eventually or, or whenever for and, and pocket some cash, or it's to keep the business in the family as a long-term asset and, and, and then family succession comes into play. Like yep. who's the next mm -hmm. to run the business? Mm -hmm. And 
your fix it tab has obviously had incredible incredible family succession because when uh, the next generation took over the business doubled in size so i guess what would be what do you think the the key to success successful family um integration and, and succession into the next generation of leadership is well i think it's unity what it can do well well, Ken, and, well, and you guys, yeah, I think it's unity. So you, you, you know, you need to have for a start. You need to have the family um, that want to, uh, you know, move forward with succession. So there's lots of different things you need to consider. Um, yeah, imagine the lazy motherfuckers that would be like, <laughs> "Nah, I don't want to run this. Business. You, you've set up this business well, for think, 30, 40 years, but I don't really want to run it." Well, I think I'm uh, like get out of the family. Well, I think I think well, anymore. that is very common. You know, is that you get into the third generation and fourth generation, and they lose yeah, the story. They don't see you. So. You know, it's very, very difficult. I guess there's that sweet spot with succession. And, you know, it can um, – you get to third and fourth and fifth generation, they, 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 there is no story to I like uh, that you said remember, that. So. They lose the story. They lose they, the story. They, yeah, I think it's uh, – you very much lose the story. And the story is, you know, is the legacy. So at some point you need to know what you're fighting for. Um, and for us it's the legacy. But once you lose that, once you lose the story, there's no reason to fight because – and I think that's the problem that you may see with – you know, generational issues that happen uh, within in, within businesses. They lose the story and they lose the perspective, and um, you know they, they lose what they're fighting for. Well, they lose they lose the journey of the founders in terms of what they had to fight for, um, and it just it can just be very much a, a case of just sitting back and hand out type of thing. And um, and so, what do you think it was? What do you think Ken did uh, over a period of many many years? Uh, with yourself and, and, and with your – is your brother in the business too? Brother's in the business, yeah. yeah. With yourself Ian's and your brother. Business. Yeah, we started the same year. So. What, what do you think Ken did well over those years to set you guys up – sorry, enable you guys to grow and become six, you know, even more successful than the business already was? Well, I think it was very much, uh, you know, taking Ian and I on that journey. Also, he, he led from the front, so he was out. He still did everything even though we had employees. I said, Dad, we got employees. He, he would still do it. But I think it, 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 he took Ian and I along. He kept that story going and the journey going and um, – he took us with him on, as I said on before, on the trips. So, so even when you were young, you're saying he was taking you with well, him. Well, it was, he was even before we started the business in the business, but even then, when we started in the business, he kept taking us on those journeys, and so we we you we, shadowed him. Well, we shadowed him, and in, and then ultimately, we. I, I mean, I didn't you know see it at the time, but now I do. He, what he was doing was creating the opportunity for us to be able to tell our story. Um, and then be able to pass that on to others, whether it be other family members or other people within the company. So, uh, so it was a, he was teaching us to the skill set to ultimately be able to be our own storyteller. Yes, and you want that, and that's so important because mm. you need the next generation to have their story because a they need a next generation needs to also prove to the employees and and, and that, that they are you know I am capable of running this business because it could be easy. And there's a lot of family businesses at Cub where generations have come in and taken over. But, and I've spoken to many people that have actually said like, uh, it actually gets scarier the longer the business has been held because you don't want to be the one that drops the torch. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Look, absolutely. There's a lot more. You, you, it does create the pressure because you feel there's a lot more to lose. But I think that's just part of the more battles that you're in, um, you, you know, you back yourself more to be able to navigate the battles. And I think when you go through that process, the fear 
you know, the fear factor of, uh, of being the one that drops the ball and it all turns to, to dust. Um, keeps you, know, you, it, keeps it, you firing. It, it keeps dissipates you a bit. I mean, the better, the more battles that you have to fight, uh, you don't win them all, but you might have a bit of a scrap, but you come out of it. I, it, it, it helps you a lot, you know, down, you know, in the future years. Um, and, and that fear factor dissipates about being the one that drops the ball because, you know, okay. You get more battle. confident. You get more confident of being able to navigate the battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's not it's not doom. It's, uh, you, you know, you might get knocked over, but you just, you know how to get back up and you know how to get back up really strong. I, I like the idea of every generation of, you know, leadership of, of a company needing its stories in order to, A, grow, learn, and prove themselves to to partners, employees, to, to to everybody, but but also to have those stories carry on. To and then the next generation creates their stories, and and all of a sudden, you know, accompanies generations of stories of of adversities and overcoming them, and the lessons that they've learned from them, and it keeps kind of getting passed down. Absolutely, and that, and that I mean, I think you know, you've done your job really well when you're able to achieve that, um, and that's that mentoring piece. Um, so I see now it's probably the most important part of what I do. I, st- I love product development. I love strategic thinking. Um, but I'm very, mu- I'm very big on, um, you know, creating the resources for your employees and making sure that the strategic direction is clear, um, it's communicated and the resources are there. And at the end of the day, you've got executives and a team underneath it. They're the, there to do a job. I'm very big on letting them get on and get in, do their job and stand back um, and not be a helicopter. And uh, I think, you know, there's probably too much helicoptering that happens within businesses and um, doing everything. And What do you mean by helicoptering? Like looking over? Well, buzzing over yeah. everything that happens and you end up, you know, majoring in all the minor stuff. And um, you, so you end up um, being an obstacle really for growth because um, executives and team members are, are not able to then, uh, you know, have their experiences. So I'm very big on stepping back. Um, making sure the resources are there, making sure the strategic direction is there and then letting people get on with their, doing their job and let them have an opportunity to excel um, and, and, and to shine. And do you think that, ty- that type of mentality and culture has been a key to the success of, sorry, the, like the long-term, uh, long-term success of your employee retention, like the fact that you, the reason why, one of the reasons why you've had employees for decades? Look, I think it's a combination. I think the, you know, the, the, the staff that's been there for 30 years was the, you know, really what my father created and the, and he was very highly regarded. My form of leadership is, is, is a little different um, in, in, in sort of not being in front of everybody as often and, you know, as I see it sort of impinging on their space. So, um so it's a different leadership style, but at the same time, it's about um, you know respecting and having trust for your staff um, that they, they've got the tools to be able to do the job, and uh, they have somebody that they know they can come through. And we connect through obviously great strategic meetings that we have, um, and I'll, I'll jump in where I see something going off track, um, but pl- you know pleasingly, um, it, it, it's, it doesn't happen very often. We you know the team are learning themselves. And ultimately, they've got their own stories that they need to be able to tell to their, their team below them. I love that. Well, we do need to wrap up. We're out of time. But uh, to our incredible listeners, <laughs> um, if you want to get in contact with Andrew or go to Fix It Tap and check out the Plum. Plum Connect. Plum Connect. <laughs> um, 
or view uh, book recommendations, favorite quotes, and, and some, some of his greatest lessons in business. You can do that at club.club forward slash podcast, and you can catch up with Cub on social media at, at Club United Business on Instagram. Andrew, thank you so much for, for today. I, I just loved it. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't drill too much on the perspective of time, but I just felt like that that was such a huge um, asset that you hold is the, is the, 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 the knowledge and value of time and, 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 and the things you've learned in that, in that period and how to make a company successful for that long. So um, uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed it. And I mean, I very much did. Thank you very much for having me. And I really enjoyed it and, um, and uh, looking forward to continuing all the great work with Cubs. So thank you. Awesome. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you.